Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to the Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Well, it's been another exciting week in the election uh, with all of the manifestos launched and welcome to this special Friday extra edition of the Times Opinion podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery and today I'm joined by two of our regular newspaper columnists, Daniel Finkelstein and Rachel Sylvester, and also making his debut, a very warm welcome to Callum Jones who helps put the red box email together and if you're not subscribing to the red box how do people do that uh, callum they can uh, subscribe at the times.co.uk forward slash red box forward slash sign up and so you can get during the election period not only a morning email but an afternoon email as indeed well. yes good well the, we're going to stick at the same Friday format that we had uh, last week for those of you who are regular listeners going through five big questions to review the week and rachel sylvester can i start with you and what was your moment of, of this week? Well, there are so many to choose from with the manifestos being launched this week, but I think I'm going to choose Labour's manifesto and Ed Miliband's decision to put deficit reduction and fiscal responsibility on the first page. Because I think what's interested me this week has been the way in which Labour and Ed Miliband have sought to redress their negatives and deal with the public's concerns about the party in a way that I didn't feel that the Conservatives have. And I thought that decision to try and tackle this kind of toxic reputation for economic incompetence, it may not work, it may be completely, you know, pie in the sky, but at least they were facing up to the negative and attempting attempting to deal with it. Mm. And so I thought that was a sort of quite significant and interesting moment. And you don't think, I might be tripping on other people's subjects, but you don't think the Tories... NHS pledge or the Tories' commitment to right to buy was in a sense some attempt by them to show that they could be trusted. No, sure, exactly. I thought those were interesting too, but I thought particularly on the right to buy, I know that the number 10 thought that that was a kind of game-changing moment and that was a sort of moment to force a kind of reconsideration, but for me it, it actually wasn't. It was a sort of Thatcherite policy which was immediately condemned by the housing associations mm. and it wasn't dealing with the actual issue of kind of supply of housing so although i can see the case for that for me i thought the more surprising moment was the ed Miliband one okay callum what was what was your moment of the week it has to be the debate last night actually i know it wasn't it that's didn't, on didn't, uh, thursday night we should in case anyone's listening over the weekend or something yes of course yeah. many apologies yeah i think the, the the opposition debate last night i mean it didn't involve uh, david cameron or nick clegg obviously they they were absent due to uh, the negotiations and what, what what played out at that point but i thought it was just very interesting you saw 
what could have been potentially the makings of a deal on stage between Ed Miliband and Nicola Sturgeon. Obviously, Ed Miliband ruled out the possibility of a coalition, but who knows whether, well, well how that will play out after the election. And you also saw uh, the the behaviour of the so-called anti-austerity alliance between the Green Party, uh, Plaid and the SNP, which was also very interesting. And uh, who could forget uh, Nigel Farage going for the audience as well? It was quite an interesting night, all in all. Danny, I haven't seen you write anything yet on the de- on the debate. You any strong views? I'm putting you in a very awkward position now, aren't I? Um, my feeling is that the issue of the opposition parties uh, could seriously be one of the issues that defines the last week of the election campaign. The relationship, the Times uh, on the morning after the debate led on the issue of the relationship between Nicola Sturgeon and uh, Ed Miliband, or the lack of relationship, and um, I think that was the correct choice because this issue of whether the SNP will have a relationship with Labour and whether that will take the government to the left will undoubtedly be a big issue in the last week of the election campaign. I want to choose a rather eccentric um, moment of the week um, because it didn't dominate the week in any way, uh, but I think it will prove to be one of the most important things that happened this week, which is the release of a Liberal Democrat manifesto. I mean, it hardly made the main news even the day that it was done because it was also the same day as the Liberal Democrat, as the UKIP manifesto. But... It became completely apparent to me when they released it that that manifesto will certainly see a number of specific things uh, that will happen. The second thing is it also illustrated to, to me that, unlike last time, the Liberal Democrats are quite uncertain what they want out of the next election, they get out of the next government. Their, their last uh, series of priorities was very specific and quite hard to meet. Uh, This set of priorities was quite woolly. It related to being nice about the environment and Mm. um, making sure to do something about um, welfare recipients. It was quite unspecific, and I realised that actually uh, I think it will be easier for either party to do deals with the Liberal Democrats than I thought it would be. But I thought that the release of their manifesto, the framing of it with red lines and negotiating positions, that was probably one of the most important things that happened this week, even if it dom- didn't dominate news coverage. Mm. Did you think that actually a deal between the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats receded, though, a little bit this week? Because you had Nick Clegg very insistent that he wouldn't sign up to £12 billion of welfare cuts. He also said that he would veto the right to buy policy. Was that just posturing or do you think there was a little bit of... I wouldn't have thought either of those things was a complete deal breaker. Uh, If the Liberal Democrats didn't intend to leave open their option to deal deal with the Conservatives, they would quite simply have ruled out a referendum on the in out of the the EU and they haven't done that. And that must be because they want to leave that option open. Mm. So no, I don't think it did recede. I mean, I think it's always been a bit of a lazy assumption that they will do a deal with the uh, Tories rather than with Labour. The Liberal Democrats still remain a party that would actually be more comfortable doing a deal with Labour. Mm. But um, I think Nick Clegg doesn't. He's not the leader that feels that. Uh, plus, I think the maths will will dominate everything. Tories do need Nick Clegg to hold his seat, don't they? Yes, they did. I think another big moment of the week, actually, was the uh, were also related to the Liberal Democrats, was the Conservatives' 2001 candidate uh, in Sheffield Hallam issuing a letter saying he was still a Tory and he was a lifelong Conservative, but he thinks Conservatives should vote for Nick Clegg in Sheffield Hallam. I thought that was very interesting. Put up job, do you think, or do you think he was acting independently? Or we can't speculate. I think he was probably acting independently, but I don't suppose he's going to get punished in the way that people normally would for endorsing yeah. a candidate from another party. Absolutely, you could be sure someone would be expelled if they 
endorsed to UKIP candidate. It's interesting no example. one's called for him to be expelled. Yes, it is. Very interesting. You, you agree with that, Rachel? The Lib Dem manifesto, more woolly, less precise, more coalitious potentially than previous Lib Dem manifestos? Definitely. And I think what's interesting is the Lib Dems are seen to have been absolutely crucified at the polls. You know, they're having a terrible time. They're falling away. But on the other hand, they still might well, quite likely, to be the kingmakers. And the, I think you're right that the way in which that's likely to go will depend entirely on whether Nick Clegg does win his seat. Mm. But I think Danny's absolutely right. They're far more equidistant, as they used to say, yeah. than perhaps um, sometimes people assume. And you could definitely see from that manifesto a deal with either Tories or Labour. You're nodding, Callum. Having gone through all of the manifestos, I had that delightful job earlier <laughs> this week, there were a lot of caveats in the Lib Dem manifesto, lots of we will carefully consider doing this. And uh, it, it did make it. It did make it feel very much like uh, the almost like the blueprint for for a coalition. It was very clear mm. what their red lines were. Um, obviously, they, they they insist they'll stand by all the policies they've put on their front page. But there were for for for, mu- for much of the document, there were huge huge caveats in in place, and it was quite clear that they were uh, preparing the groundwork for for a coalition negotiation. One uh, one other point, interesting. There was a red box poll today from YouGov, which suggested that uh, uh, the Lib Dems were above the SNP and. UKIP still in terms of the most popular uh, party to hold the balance of power of the minority party. Which is one thing Nick Clegg has been emphasising quite a lot this week. You can have Nigel yeah. Farage or Alex Salmon, Stroke Nicholas Sturgeon or me. Yeah. Obviously he has seen that polling yes, as well. Indeed, yeah. um, let's stick with you Callum. Who, in your opinion for answering our second of our five questions, who had a good week? Now I'm sure this has been said before for the past few weeks as well but I hate, hate to say it but the SNP again, uh, Nicholas Sturgeon has uh, had another brilliant week with last night obviously the debate she uh, did incredibly well 31 uh, percent in the survey poll said she won that was second place behind deb Miliband. but still that's a that's a uk-wide poll of people saying this this was the clear winner and uh, and obviously only 10 percent of the uk electorate is in scotland anyway approximately so uh, they seem to be going from strength to strength and still there are more polls coming from from uh, north of the border saying that they're on course for a labor wipeout on may 7th so it, it will be uh, incredibly interesting they just don't seem to have put a foot wrong so far in this campaign. Who had a good week for you, Rachel Sylvester? Um, I'm going to sound like I'm repeating myself, but I think I'm going to say Ed Miliband because I thought that poll, that was the first poll where you actually had Ed Miliband against David Cameron in a who do you think would make a better Prime Minister. Now, I don't think that's a true poll because I think, you know, it was entirely about the debate and David Cameron wasn't at the debate, foolishly, in my view. But it was, that's a sort of bit of a moment and I would think a wake-up call to number 10 uh, why are they not winning this campaign and I think Ed Miliband has started to look as if he might think he's a kind of could be prime minister and I think even quite a lot of conservatives I've been talking to this week are starting to worry that they're seeing it slipping away and that Mm. he could even they could now see him on the steps of number 10 and his biggest problem Ed Miliband was always that people the voters couldn't imagine him you know, in Downing Street, they didn't feel he was statesmanlike, prime ministerial. Mm. And there's just the beginnings of voters starting to say perhaps he could be. 
Do you agree with that, Danny? Do you think Not Ed Miliband really, is no? I don't. No. I mean, I see. I think what's happened to Ed Miliband's ratings is that um, people who support the Labour Party have begun to see him as possible prime mm. minister. That is very important in your ratings, and actually, it's important to turn out um, because one route to defeat certainly was very low turnout among Labour voters. So there's no question that that has been a good thing. I don't think it's a more widespread feeling, um, and I still think the question of whether Ed Miliband would be a good prime minister is a very big positive for the. Conservatives and a negative for Labour. Whether or not, by the way, it's justified, so I'm not passing a judgment on whether it's true or not. And actually, throughout the whole Parliament, I've always thought it was possible that Ed Miliband would become Prime Minister because the maths suggested that that could happen. Plus, he was also a Cabinet Minister. It's not so unrealistic. But I don't think, actually, I think we've got a tremendous tendency to to assess very small moves as if they were big changes. And I, I don't really think that that big change has taken place. Although there's no question that among Labour voters, Ed Miliband's and and potential Labour voters, Ed Miliband's ratings have gone from being worse than the worst possible ratings to being about where William Hague was, say. And uh, But then obviously he lost the election. So it's not that I'm saying nothing's happened. I'm not going to repeat myself, but I am going to repeat Callum in terms of who had a good week. Um, I tend to try and look at this rather than seeing the ups and downs of the week as looking strategically. You know, we've got one week closer to a total wipeout of the Labour Party in Scotland, which this, the SNP has brought about and Nicola Sturgeon has handled very competently a front-runner status. Admittedly, it's not that difficult to do because being front-runner is actually not as difficult as everyone suggests. It's better than not being front-runner. You know, they, they seem to be even stronger at, the, at this stage in the campaign than they were at the beginning. Uh, and uh, that I, I understand that to be the case from focus groups as well as numerically. Mm. Did you not worry a little bit about that, Rachel Sylvester? You name Ed Miliband as your person of the of the week or who had a, who had a good week. And you've got Callum and... Danny, either side of you saying Nicola Sturgeon had a good week mm. and he didn't really in Thursday night's debate, for my view, really take Nicola Sturgeon on. He mentioned briefly the black hole in the public finances of Scotland mm. that might emerge if the SNP had their, their way. But there was nothing approaching a real killer blow or anything to land. Maybe it was impossible to land that, but he's yeah. not no, he's I not he's not the, addressing this meltdown of the Labour vote there in is Scotland. There's a paradox that he he I, he can have had a good week and Labour's position can still be rocky um, Mm. because of what's happening in Scotland. I'm not sure that it would have been right for him, looking at it for me as a viewer, for him to see him kind of absolutely laying into Nicola Sturgeon. I hate it when politicians really go go at another politician. Mm. Um, Do you think it matters that it's a bit the man-woman thing as well? I think it would have looked bullying and I don't think it would have been right. I thought what Michael Fallon did last week was, was appalling and I think lots of you know, middle-of-the-road voters looking at that, lots of Conservatives looking at that. Yeah. Um, Matthew Paris wrote a very strong piece about that in Saturday's yes. paper. Would have felt really uncomfortable. And I think if Ed Miliband had done a version of that on the left, if you like, laying into Nicola Sturgeon very aggressively, I think it might have backfired. Um, mm. The problem is that I'm not sure that... I don't think anything that Labour's trying in Scotland is working. Mm. So he, he can still have had a good week, but it still ends up with Labour's position being worse okay. because of what's going on north of the border. Danny Finkelstein, who had a bad week? Well, I'm going to make another eccentric choice. The, uh, I don't think that crea- last one was an eccentric choice. Yeah, well, my <laughs> first one was. The creator, uh, the Liberal Democrat Manifesto was. Yeah, yeah. Um, the creators of um, snap opinion polls. So I, I um, find these 
polls that take place after the debate utterly preposterous. They haven't, in any of the debates, given you any idea at all what happened. All they do is tell you the uh, the rough mix of people who were in the debate and some sort of broad relationship to who the electorate generally support. Almost each one of these polls, and I, because you've asked me about this week, we'll look at the Salvation one, yeah. um, has a wild selection of people whom it polls. It had a massive gulf between Labour and the Conservatives in last night's, um, in, in the uh, survey on the night of the election, of the poll itself. It wasn't obvious how, why that had happened. And they're asking a question which, it, which doesn't mean anything. 
do is not doable and they should turn down the work. It was also uh, interesting how after the seven-way debate there were, I can't remember how many polls all in all, probably going on five, and they, they all did vary quite considerably, so you're not entirely sure which one to believe, and even if you do an average, like you say, the samples vary, so it's quite hard to really know who, who won. In I, I, it, it's, it's also a, quite a bizarre question to be asking voters, because whether they think somebody won they're not necessarily going to vote for them on polling day. OK, well, Callum uh, Jones, who had a bad week for you? And I hope you're not going to give quite such an eccentric, although interesting <laughs> answer as Dan <laughs> uh, I've, It's somewhat left field, I have to say. Oh, uh, no. But uh, apo- I, I do apologise. Uh, but Ruth Cadbury, the uh, Labour uh, candidate for Brentwood and Isleworth, she uh, oh, had the unfortunate yes. habit of uh, featuring in a, in a viral video this week when uh, uh, I think this was the night or after uh, Ed Miliband launched his party's manifesto, she was asked to sum up some of the key policies in it and uh, she she completely froze as many of us do she completely froze but uh it was just slightly unfortunate because she couldn't name a single one for and she did stutter for quite a long time oh uh, it made for fairly painful viewing it has to be and said. for anyone who hasn't seen that video and uh, you are a time subscriber um please do go to the times.co.uk slash comment central and not only will i link to that video so that you can see it in all of excruciating glory but i'll also link to some times pieces that provide background reading um to what we've been discussing Rachel Sylvester, don't let me down. These two have chosen very eccentric <laughs> choices. Give me a mainstream answer to who had a bad week, please. OK, I'm going to go for Nigel Farage. OK. Is that mainstream enough for you? I'm not, um, That's um, mainstream. <laughs> I thought at the TV debate he blundered by suddenly turning on the audience as sort of left-wing lunatics when they'd been sort of supposedly objectively chosen. <laughs> and I don't think you should ever really attack your no. audience in that situation. But I think more generally what's interesting during the campaign is that UKIP it's sort of I'm not sure that it's exactly falling away but the it seems to have been usurped if you like as the insurgents by the SNP and also to an extent although less so now by the Greens and there's this sense that they're no longer the new kids on the block and I think Nigel Farage is beginning to look sort of tired Mm. and a bit fractious and I think the lots of talk that he might not win his seat we don't know but there's a sort of sense that he's fighting on all fronts and he's trying to hold this party together single-handedly and their you know their manifesto launch I thought didn't come across very well looked you know they said it was all costly but I didn't think it really looked like sort of proper grown Suzanne up. Evans did well I don't know whether you saw I thought she exactly. was exactly so there's another even the launch, he now yeah. has a sort of mm. challenger coming up yes. on his flank um and yeah. um, so I that's he's my bad yeah, right. week Rachel and I you know we share st- something we often don't agree on some on things but we we share one thing which is that uh, we think that when a party's retreat to core vote strategies they're toast mm-hmm. um and that's what ukip has done so actually in in a core in a core vote strategy nigel farage attacking bbc audience that works quite well mm-hmm. for your 10 12 percent what's happened and i think why you know your choice is sage is that um the ukip have been forced to retreat to that strategy they, they they're reaching the idea of reaching out creating momentum a sort of farage mania like clegg mania in the last election <laughs> that has fallen away and that was definitely a possibility at the outset of the campaign that yeah. the ofcom ruling making them a major party would give them suddenly this momentum and that has not happened although actually isn't ukip always going to be a core vote party they well, are they're, they're they're you know it's not like the tories or labor who potentially have a kind of limited, big section but, of the electorate but their core might be 20 percent rather right, than 10 yeah i'm slightly disappointed that none of you didn't choose david cameron 
as sort of having a bad week or in a Linton way. Crosby, or Linton I Crosby, think, I think because has had a bad week as well. the Tories have thrown a lot at mm. the election this week. Since we mm. last met, uh, Danny, we've had the £8 billion sure. NHS pledge, we've had the manifesto, which contains some big commitments on tax, right to buy, a childcare, you know, out bidding Labour on some of these issues and mm. you get the sense that this long awaited shift in the opinion polls that Tories have been predicting another week has gone, we're another week closer to polling day and it's not happening for the Conservatives okay, well, let's, let's, let's first leave to one side the idea that that could be that that's Linton Crosby's fault Yeah. Okay. Um, if, if it's I, not, I think it was Rachel mentioned Linton right. <laughs> no, so, okay, I would, I would, okay so much more fundamental mm. right, if, if it is true and, and of course it may not be, because one way of interpreting what might happen with the Conservatives is that people will move to the Conservative Party quite reluctantly, and therefore very late. Um, and so you wouldn't expect to see this movement. I don't believe that what happens in the three to four weeks of the campaign is likely to move to, is likely to change all that much. And so the question is, when will be revealed what's, what is really happening to people? And then there may be different views about the timing of it. I think that if there is a problem for the Conservatives, it's much more deep-seated in the branding of the Conservative Party, in the demographic reach of the Conservative Party, in some of the fundamental choices well, being that, made about that's the Conservative Party. That's all true, Danny, know, but, 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 therefore, but this week there was an attempt no, to... These were course, big promises and there's no impact okay, in so the my view, polls, No, least, but that, yeah. So my view is that um, that was never likely to, to result from a week's campaign. So therefore, if you are saying it's a bad period, first of all, you wouldn't select a week. And secondly, of course, you would then look at the leadership of the party, mm. not just David Cameron, but the collective leadership of the party and the party itself. So I'm not arguing it's been it's a good thing for the Conservatives that a week's gone by and they haven't moved up in the polls, but more that it would be wrong to say this was due to the activities of the people organising the campaign in the last week. But what I do think has been extraordinary since the start of the campaign is that almost everything, until this week, as Tim says, but almost everything the Conservatives have done have, has reinforced those brand negatives. So, you know, supporting non-DOMs, Michael Fallon's attack. How on earth did they think that was going to overturn the negatives? Whereas at least, that's what I was saying about Ed Miliband, at least there was a, an attempt to address. Callum? The Times focus group on the Tory manifesto launch actually uh, suggested that the the slightly new optimistic approach after, as, as you say, a, a fair few weeks of negativity uh, went down well with voters. It, they seem to really, they seem to really like it, and maybe that that might uh, assist the Conservatives in some per, way. Might yet percolate, but as as Danny says, these brands are hard to overturn. What's um, interesting, though, I think, is whether or not there's been a shift. Whether that was always going to be the plan, mm. or whether they've changed halfway through. I what think, do you think I then? think there's been a shift and I yeah. think David Cameron and George Osborne have wrestled back a little bit of the campaign from Linton Crosby but that's only a hunch that's yeah. such a tight group and it's, it keeps its secrets we may never know but that's I think something has shifted. Mm. Danny Finkelstein what new thing did we learn this week? Um, I didn't remember what I was going to say now. Rachel, uh, you go first. Let give Danny. You might first. get it, but Callum, you're not going. You, you go first, and I'm, we'll let I'm, these two to catch up. I can only apologise. It is somewhat of a repetition of what we've just been talking about. But in my mind, what we learnt was that the manifesto launches just simply weren't enough to break the deadlock in the polls. I mean, YouGov last week had Labour on 35, the Tories on 33. This week they have Labour on 35 again, the Tories on 34. They simply weren't enough. And as we were saying, there were uh, we've we've had policy launches from the Tories, policy launches from uh, Labour and some big headline 
grabbing announcements and it hasn't been enough. Now, don't get me wrong, there might be polls in the coming days which might see the uh, good things for either party, but so far, nothing. So, so we, we've learnt that it's not only Labour candidates in marginal seats and Green Party leaders who have brain freezes, even Times columnists have <laughs> brain freezes. No, I'm so sorry. You're both now looking like you've remembered what I was going to say. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, the, the point is this. The electorate um, has lost uh, patience with austerity. That's what we've learned this week. It's a pretty serious thing that we've learned. Yes. Very, it was not yeah. open to the Conservative Party to put forward a strongly uh, austerity-based manifesto, despite the fact that a large part of its appeal is economic responsibility. It may This may have been an aspect of the campaign. Uh, we discussed whether there's been a change in the campaign in the last few days, but it also may have just been a long-term strategic decision. I'm a fiscal hawk, um, personally, uh, and I'm uncomfortable about making lots of pledges that you might, will find difficult to fulfil. But as a political strategist, would I have advised David Cameron to have a strongly fiscal hawkish manifesto launch? I don't think I would. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're going to find, after the election, whoever is the government, that we've got three or four years of strong fiscally conservative policies to implement, which are very tough and which both parties are committed to, and the Liberal Democrats even more so, and yet the appetite for them and the democratic preparation for them is very low. Well, we had a, we had a reminder this week from the IMF that actually Britain is still quite a long way from fiscal balance, so some yes. tough decisions await probably whoever is elected in uh, three weeks' time. Mine Rachel. Is, mine is the, if you like, the flip side of Danny's, that we learnt that we're not going to learn everything before the election about what would happen and that there are huge black holes in both Labour and the Conservatives there are huge black holes in what both Labour and the Conservatives are revealing about what they would do. What I mean is that so on the Labour side they're not saying at which point they would eliminate the deficit and that has huge implications if it's the end of the Parliament they need far fewer cuts than if it's at the beginning or middle of the Parliament and on the Tory side there's £12 billion of welfare cuts which they're not telling us what those are so you could be somebody receiving child benefit on you know, next month you might not get it anymore and you won't know. Do you think this is dangerous to the Conservatives that they haven't spelt these welfare cuts I can completely understand why they've done it and I think it would be very difficult for them electorally... To now outline them. Well, and also I think it would be very unpopular whatever they're going to do. But on the other hand, it's not being honest. Mm. And equally on the Labour side, Labour aren't being completely honest about what their plans are. So so what we've learnt is that we aren't going to learn. OK, well, enough looking back. Uh, fifth and final question. Stay with you, Rachel. Next seven days, anything you think Times readers should be looking out for? I think it's going to be all about the potential relationship between Labour and the SNP. How's that going to go? How does Labour deal with the SNP in Scotland? What would happen post-election if there were a minority government? And it's that sort of crucial power struggle, if you like. Um, that's going to define the next few weeks, I think. And how the Tories exploit it. And how the Tories, and they will. And I I wonder, it's very interesting whether how it plays in England. I don't know whether English voters are as scared of Nicola Sturgeon as Mm. 
Tories think they are. I think they're more scared of Alex Salmon. Exactly. I, th- I think, I think Nicola Sturgeon slightly confuses things um, yeah. for them. Callum Jones. In terms of a scheduled election events, I suppose that if you if you're not tired enough of the leaders' election debates, the Daily Politics are also doing their election debates next week as well. How many people will tune in? I don't know. The They're... Queen will tune in. We learned. We learned this week so that the we Queen gather. watches the Daily Politics. This, this is very true. Um, but obviously, middle of the day, most people are out doing better things, no doubt. Um, but they, the, the, these are these are happening on each topic, and each each party spokesperson on yeah. each area will be debating, and it could it could produce some interesting moments. Who knows? Last word to you, Danny. Well, both those points were were right. We will learn those things. I think we'll another thing we might learn this week is how robust UKIP is. I think it's going to come under a lot of pressure now. There's just a feeling, and actually, to some extent, it's narrative rather than something that's supported by the opinion polls um, that uh, they're on the slide, um, and that Nigel Farage I think hasn't there is made a bit of evidence and there's a little bit uh, and there's a little bit in the marginals as well um uh, but it's not substantial and we don't know what the core of it is i think we're going to learn quite a lot about this that this week and Mm. we'll learn actually whether some of this fluctuation is real Uh, Mm. one or two polls are suggesting they are going down other polls aren't really and the poll polls hasn't moved a huge amount but i think it will um be this week we'll begin to learn it actually i think it'll be very late before we know this but this week i think there'll be some more speculation around that and we'll see how you cope with that kind of pressure which at the end of this week i would say is not looking as though they're going to cope with it terribly well but we'll see well thank you all very much thank you callum especially for making your debut thank you for Rachel and uh, perhaps I should particularly thank you as well Danny because I know you're not entirely comfortable with this pop trivia style approach to election (laughs) campaigns week by week (laughs) but you've been very game in taking part thank you too to Dave Maguire my producer we will be back of course on Tuesday when Hugo Rifkin Matthew Paris and Jenny Russell return for another one of our podcasts I hope you've all enjoyed listening have a wonderful weekend goodbye Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.